Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. We have a very special guest today. Our guest is Pamela Carey, the author of a unique memoir entitled Elderly Parents with All Their Marbles, a survival guide for the kids. Published this year in 2014, it's an excellent book. I loved every page of this because many of us, including Pam, found out the hard way what is required physically, financially, and emotionally to care for an elderly parent. Before the respective passings, Pam was the primary caretaker of her aging parents, who were not mentally incapacitated and struggled to maintain their independence. Recognizing the needs of caregivers, Pam poured her heart into the pages of this book so that it might prove to be a reliable resource for others facing similar circumstances. It not only tells the poignant and often humorous aspects of her journey prior to her parents' transitions, it serves as a comforting companion to caregivers as they ride the unavoidable emotional roller coaster that accompanies such care. It also provides crucial information one needs to know if they are to care for their loved ones without failing them due to lack of knowledge or experience. The book contains a glossary of useful terms and their definitions, websites, phone numbers, clearly stated insurance information, and even a checklist of what to look for in a nursing home. From this description, you might be envisioning an encyclopedia However, Pam lays out her beautifully written story and all of the information she gathered in only 150 pages. We encourage you to purchase a copy of this book to offer as a gift to a caregiver in your life or as a donation to a hospital or care facility so that someone may benefit from its wisdom. Okay, so let's get started. This is a very important topic. Welcome to the show, Pam, and thank you for sharing your story with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. It was a pleasure reading this book. You uh, have a beautiful writing style, but I think the inclusion of all of these pieces of information about Medicare and other resources, living wills, you give all this great information, and I think that makes this book outstandingly unique from other books about caregiving. Well, thank you. That was my intent. I had read maybe 13 to 14 other um, very current caregiving books, and many of them were memoirs, which were, you know, very touching, but they didn't have the resource information, or others had a lot of resource information and really didn't tell a story. So I was trying to do both. I was trying to tell a very humorous as well as a touching story and then provide the resources in an appendix at the back. Yes. And that's what you did. And each story, 
they're short and sweet, that, and that's what's so great about it. You you get in, you lay it out, and each story is laced with humor. It's so tongue-in-cheek. I loved it. It really made me smile. Um, very touching, of course, because we're dealing with aging parents and parents who are uh, about to pass away, and right. even afterwards. So with your blessing, Pam, I'd like to dedicate this segment to your parents as well as all caregivers everywhere. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. You're quite welcome. I, I think it's a blessing to anyone who needs a smile or solutions to their circumstances. This um, will definitely be helpful and will definitely serve as a companion to anyone in this situation. And hopefully people will purchase the book and give it to friends as a gift and also pass it to other people once their situation has come to its inevitable conclusion. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they will take your book and gift it to other people who might be able to use it. That would be a beautiful way to pay it forward, don't you think? That's ideal, and that's what people are telling me. They've they've been giving it to people that uh, need this kind of resource. I, I just want to tell um, the audience that the book is structured around 49 very tongue-in-cheek humorous rules that I came up with when my parents were in their 80s and 90s. And my parents were very healthy. They lived independently. I was blessed to have uh, no signs of dementia in them or Alzheimer's. So um, I came up with these funny rules, and my sister and I began to collect some of the stories, and I, I keep a journal. I'm an old English teacher. So I started writing the stories down, and um, some of them um, had to be eliminated, of course, but the first half of the book, the stories are pretty humorous. And then as we get into um, the last three months of each of their lives, we deal with hospitals and rehabs and nursing homes, but those rules remain humorous and tongue-in-cheek. Yes, it, and it's an excellent touch because it's so serious, but it really does kind of make you grin. And I told Pam before the show, the way the way you read her writing, it's as if you've, when you're ever watching a movie or a television show and an actor, in response to what someone else is, is saying or, or demonstrating through their behavior, looks at the camera and makes a face like, could you help me with this? Like, right. could you believe this? You know, that, that little stare. And it, it, it had me smiling the whole time. Because well, I'm glad. You, take, you take your parents' idiosyncrasies, and we all have them, and we all have parents with them but you take those idiosyncrasies and it's like oh god mine did that too so it's like taking a journey with a friend you know well thank you i i am finding uh people when i i'm asked what the topic of the book is and i tell them it's a a book about caregiving but i wrote it basically for the next generation because i knew nothing you know when i started overseeing my parents down in florida and I don't think our children really know very much either. Um, but the floodgates open when I mention the topic, and I start hearing stories about caregiving for siblings, caregiving for spouses, caregiving for parents, of course, because so many of the emotional, so much of the emotional journey is the same, and therefore they relate to the same rules, you know, which are quote-unquote rules that I devised. And uh, I'm finding that they uh, don't necessarily have had an experience with parents necessarily. Yes, and that's got to take on a whole new dynamic because these are the people who took care of you. That's right. And and now we have to take care of, you know, they took care of us in the beginning 
and throughout our lives, and now we have to take care of them at the end of their lives. So it's like a double-edged sword. Um, right. Well, it's a matter of respect, too, you know, and, and the circle of life where we begin as babies, we become adults, and then we return to a state where we can't always function by ourselves. Right. Well, hopefully with your help, future generations will be able to take care of us with as much care and respect that you took care of your parents. Um, I just want to mention briefly, this isn't your first book. You are also the author of Minor League Mom, A Mother's Journey Through the Red Sox Farm Teams. You published that in 2009, and it's about your two sons, Tim and Todd Carey, who were, uh, was it minor league ball players or major league? They never Help made it to the majors, okay? They're... Um, most people don't realize there are six levels of minor league ball before you get to the majors, and you have to work your way up. And uh, one was, was drafted out of college, and the other, the older brother, signed ten days later, both with the Red Sox. So we had a seven-year journey through all of the levels up to the top level in the minor leagues, and neither son made it to the majors. So the book Minor League Mom is about our family's journey through the Red Sox back in the 90s. Okay. Well, that sounds interesting. Yes, it was okay. interesting and stressful, but very exciting. No doubt. Okay. Well, I'm happy for the success that they did have, although Thank you. you want to you hear, oh, Major League, but um, I hope that they are doing well today. Well, um, they are. Thank you. Good deal. They went on to new new professions. What do they do now? Well, they both went back to school, graduate school, and um, one works for the U.S. government, and the other is a a private client banker. Very nice. Yes. They've totally branched out from, except for coaching their children, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Okay. Well, um, Pam, I want to reiterate what you state in the foreword if I can read that paragraph to the listeners. Sure. You state that federal regulations dealing with Medicare and Medicaid are in a constant state of flux and vary from state to state. The information related in this section, useful definitions, notes, websites, and phone numbers, was valid as of September 2013. So I just want to um, encourage the listeners, no matter when you are hearing uh, this program, in the archives, it could be in any future date, but you are encouraged to seek out the most up-to-date information in your area. Um, What Pam states is absolutely true, and you want to arm yourself with the best, most current knowledge that you possibly can so that you don't experience the mishaps that some people can experience because they don't understand the different facets of health insurance. Okay, so I just wanted to get that out of the way. Yes, thank you. Um, at what point in your journey, Pam, you hold a, a BA from Colby College and an MA from Columbia University Teachers College, and you mentioned you're, you were an English teacher. Um, obviously, you have a respect for the sharing of knowledge. So my question for you as I, as I was reading this was, at what point in your journey with your parents did you realize that you had the ingredients of a powerful book, or did that come after as you reviewed your journal? It really did come afterward. Um, you are so involved in the daily um, lifestyle, making sure they're eating properly, making sure um, they're taking their medications, making sure they're exercising. You're so involved in all of those daily um, activities that 
you don't ever stop to say, gee, I have some great notes here. You know, you're just trying to keep up and keep the notes current, especially for doctor's visits. And then afterward, um, after that happens and they go into a hospital situation, it's even more stressful where you're, you're trying to oversee the care with the doctors in the hospital, the nurses, and, um, you know, maintain a relationship with them and yet oversee the medications and that kind of thing. And you're not sleeping, usually. If someone um, uh, that you're overseeing is in the hospital, it's usually a very difficult situation. So it wasn't during that process that I realized how universal this topic is, but it was later... Um, when I sat down after my dad had passed, he passed a year after my mom, um, that I took note of what kind of stories would really entertain but provide information. And I wove it together into a very, as you say, short um, anecdotal memoir. Mm. Mm-hmm. Your parents were 90 and 95 at the time of their passing? That's correct. And and your mother passed away shortly before their 65th wedding anniversary. Exactly. What? My my parents are gone. Uh, by the age of 41, both of my parents were gone. Um, here's my question, and I'm not sure I'm, I know how to phrase this the right way. But is it harder having having your parents with you that much longer? I know any and the loss of any parent is devastating. But was it even harder because you had them for so long, well into their 90s? Oh, no. (laughs) Not at all. Um, No, it was a a real gift. It was a gift to create memories. Uh, My parents had always lived three hours or more from us. Mm -hmm. So when we moved them to Florida, which was not easy, but we finally got them down there, but within five miles of us, we were able to have great times together. And um, I was very fortunate in that they were healthy. I took them to the YMCA to exercise with me where my husband and I belonged. Um, we, you know, we had a lot of fun times. And yeah. some of the funny stories are definitely in the book. But one, one I can think of right away is um, when Hurricane Wilma hit, um, we had... I had stayed overnight in their home during Hurricane Charlie the previous time, and we mopped up all night. My father, without his hearing aids, didn't hear a thing, but my mother and I were up all night. And when Hurricane Wilma came, we decided, you know what, we're not going to stay here. I I decided um, we're going to leave. It's going to be... um, too nerve-wracking to try and mop up all night. So I made a reservation in Brunswick, Georgia, and told them that we would be to each taking a suitcase with, you know, medications and whatever else they needed. And we were going to uh, one of the motels in Brunswick, Georgia, before the storm hit. Well, they were so upset at me because what happens at that age in the 80s and so forth is that a herd mentality takes over it's almost like a teenage mentality where well my neighbor's not leaving why do i have to leave mm-hmm. and you know there's a generator down the street if we needed power we could always go down there and that kind of thing i mean you, you can imagine what happens in in the 80s they can hardly walk around the block let alone in a, a hurricane but in a hurricane anyway mm-hmm. 
all the way up to Brunswick, Georgia, there was dead silence in the back seat. They never spoke to my husband and me. They were so angry that, they, that if we were taking them out. Well, we got to Brunswick, and I don't know if you remember Wilma, but the storm stalled. I was here. Okay. It stalled yeah. over the Gulf and the Yucatan and then eventually started moving east over Naples and gained strength as it came toward the east coast of Florida, which is mm-hmm. where we were. Well, by the third day, when they had sat and done nothing, they refused to go to a movie with us. They refused they to go shopping with us. They just sat there watching the television. And suddenly, let me, add the, to it. let me add to it just a little bit. As you read this story, it's absolutely hilarious because they not only did that in the car, but they get to the hotel, and it was it was not inexpensive that hotel, and they did nothing but complain. And, and <laughs> right. it's like they sat with their arms folded. No, we'll just stay here and watch TV. They complained about the TV channels. They complained about the room. They complained about everything. And now go ahead because That's I know the part right. And then suddenly on this giant screen in the lobby with all the other Floridians who are sitting in the lobby, they're saying, oh, this storm is gaining strength. It's going to be a two. Whoops, it might become a three. And finally, on about the third day, my father turned to me and said, you know, I think it was a really good idea that we left the house and came up here. <laughs> it took three days for him to admit that. But anyway, there are a lot of stories like that with, you know, with the rule being that you someone has to be in charge to make a decision like that. Yeah. Um, somebody has to be geographically close by to oversee their care, to make sure they're taking their medications, to make sure they're eating properly just to make sure their house or apartment is hygienic, number one. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they get to the doctor, you know. Yes. Yeah. And, and when, like you just said, when it comes to evacuating them prior to a natural disaster, what we were talking about was 2004. In, the, in that time frame, we had the four hurricanes, 2004, and then one a year later. Um, the, the funniest aspect of that story is that you had to force them to leave their homes, and they kept coming up with, like you said, the generator down the street, nobody else is leaving. I, I really laughed when he, in that, pen, in that punchline, he alluded to the fact that the decision was his. Not <laughs> oh, to force them to go. I, I, I'm really glad we made the decision to leave there. And, oh, yes. Like you literally dragged them out of their kicking and screaming <laughs> with their canes. Yeah. And their walkers, but that's but um, it was it's a mutual fun. decision, according to my father, right? <laughs> yes. And then and you end it with like this. You, I could just see the sigh coming out of you, like, oh. <laughs> but I want I want to touch on that a little later. But um, and I, don't, I want to talk about a couple of the rules that you set out. Um, but before we do that, I want to get some important information for the caregiver, and then we can get into some of the more um, anecdotal and uh, crucial information. What are some of the signs that it's time to begin taking the reins for your parents' care? What are some things people can look out for that say? A time is approaching where I'm going to have to cross a boundary and kind of step in. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the major things is that they begin to stay inside most of the time. And if they were active before that or um, socialized before that, you will find that you, they might want to just stay in and watch television. 
and not do any other activity, not go play cards or bingo or anything. And that might be because they are a little depressed. Depression is very, very common among the elderly. And it's something that um, should be discussed with the primary care physician because an antidepressant, a mild antidepressant might be needed. Um, There are other signs. For example, um, if they are missing doctor's appointments and have a recurring health issue that is not getting resolved, that's another sign that someone has to um, be on top of that. Or if they lose track of payments that haven't been made, um, there might be a termination of utility services, um, there might be bills stacking up, and another is that their nutrition is going downhill okay. in that they, their eating habits have changed dramatically. If, for example, you visit and you find only a block of cheese and cold cuts in the refrigerator and maybe some soup cans, you know, that's a sign they're, they're not eating properly. Okay. And, and then lastly, I think we touched on this, uh, if their living quarters are dirty or in disrepair, they might not notice. They maybe can't see well or they just don't care. And um, right. I found that's probably the very easiest way to begin to, to ease some of the care into your hands was to fi- just get someone in to clean as often as you can afford. You know, just go in, even every other week, maybe once a month. Just clean yeah. the place mm-hmm. because they can't see it a lot of times. My mother had glaucoma, and she couldn't see all the spots on the carpet where my father had spilled all the coffee. You know, mm-hmm. my dad was colorblind, so he didn't know what end was up with color. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's funny because you, you describe his manner of dress, uh, yeah. which he had no style because he was wearing a tropical shirt with the plaid pants and didn't, didn't see a problem with it. And your mom was like, oh, just let him go. And, right, right. But, and, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes in depth, but there's also, because she can't see, she also can't see that there are stains on her own clothing or, you know, those these, this attention to detail begins to slip, like you said, either from apathy or because they really can't see. Right. Um, but so then you have to step in and maybe try to take over, maybe uh, take over the bills and let me help you. But in your case, and that's one of the primary points I made in the beginning of the show, was that your parents had all of their faculties. They were sharp. Yes, and they were very sharp. felt that you were intruding with everything that you did. Mm-hmm. So... You had to find this a way to kind of ease into the role, and, and they fought you tooth and nail. They fought for their independence. Your father wanted to drive well into his 90s. Yes, and, and that was well past the time he should I know. But, yes. And, and you make it funny, but it, it's a very well, serious thing. It's very difficult. It's a fine line between um, respect and taking away their independence and safety. Mm-hmm. And um, as you, there are several things you touched on. I used to um, always have a tennis bag or a workout bag when I went into their home, and I would go into their closet surreptitiously when they were in the kitchen or something, and just quickly, you know, check their clothes. And then whatever had big spots, I would 
stuff in my work out bag and take to the car to clean and bring back. And if they caught me, they got really upset, you know, and they made me put them back. But They um, caught you a couple times. They did. They caught me a couple of times, but a lot of times it worked. And then the other things you mentioned, um, certainly um, the respect for their independence in paying bills. My father was able to pay his bills until very, very late, you know, almost right up till 94 he was paying the bills and on time. But um, there are services, of course, that will come in and do that for a fee. And there are also helpers and aides from the church or family members or friends who will come in for nothing and do that. And um, it's important to do everything necessary for legal issues and certainly taxes. All of that has to, and a, an accountant uh, to look at that uh, to do it on time. So there, the main um, message I want to get across in this book, Charlotte, is that a caregiver must ask for help. You just can't do it alone. You're not a superwoman or a superman. And there are lots of people willing to help if you just ask, as I just mentioned, family members or friends. And there are rotating schedules that can be set up. Um, you can go online and there are sharethecare.org. There are schedules that are interactive so everybody can view the schedules. And there are also um, wonderful professionals, as we know. You know, there are pastors and there are counselors. Um, there are health professionals called um, health care managers. Managers? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And that, of course, demands a fee, but they will go with you to the doctor. They will oversee care in the home, and they will recommend facilities if you need it. So yes. they will also pay bills for an additional fee. Okay. And if it's available to you, if you, if you can afford to do that, it really makes a world of difference. Your healthcare manager um, did a tremendous job and yes. really, really helped. What What are your suggestions for, because a lot of people don't have that available to them and they have to care for their parents right. themselves, whether in their home, uh, which is even more difficult. You, yours, and I want to talk about this, but uh, yours was five miles away and for uh, until they went into the hospital with their respective health issues, um, you lived separately, so you had to be in and out of your house a lot, but some people have to care for their parents in their home. What are some of your suggestions for maintaining um, their health and sanity? Would they want to step away and ask? Because here's the thing. A lot of people oh, don't want to ask for help or don't feel they're allowed to ask um, how do you how do you get them to see without a doubt that they have to get somebody to come and sit and let them get out for a day or a, a length of time? Well, the problem is that you're going to burn out. You're going to become exhausted. You're going to be emotionally and physically. Mm-hmm. You're probably not going to sleep as well. And you're also maybe going to have some financial difficulties. So if you don't ask for help, you're going to become angry and frustrated and stressed out. And you're not going to enjoy your parents in their last years. Yes. So it's very important that you find 
even one of your friends who knows your parents to go in and just let you go out to lunch, do something for yourself. I have a list in the book of very very easy things to do for yourself as often as possible. And you can call on your own friends who would help you out, if not your parents' friends. Yes. Um, I can just briefly mention some of those to maintain your health and sanity. And, of course, we talked about asking for help, but um, there are also things like finding humor in situations where you are in a situation with your parents and it's very humorous, as I was. Now, they might not think it's humorous. So you have to kind of (laughs) explain sometimes the humor of the situation. And if they don't get it, that's fine. Then Mm -hmm. you can find humor in your own situations and relate those stories to them. Because what humor does is it relieves stress, number one. And number two it creates a bond between you. If you have funny things to laugh about together, um, it's it's a bond. So that's another way to relieve some stress. Mm. Also, it's very important for the caregiver to eat at least one balanced meal a day. Sometimes in critical care situations, you're not eating properly, mm-hmm. and you skip meals. So if you can keep a supply of healthy snacks with you, like nuts, granola bars, fruit, yogurt, that's really healthy. important. Very healthy, healthy stuff. Stuff. Not, not stuff. fast food. Yes. Right. And the, a couple mm. of more things, just briefly, um, as a caregiver, you need to get sleep. You really have to sleep. And if you stop sleeping, which most caregivers do, you might want to talk to your doctor for some mild kind of a sleepy time sedative. Um, mm-hmm. Or you might try some chamomile teas, you know, something that's herbal yes. as well. Must and then, nurture. Ex- mm-hmm. Exactly. And, while and the, we're other, the other thing about I want... Doctors. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry? Well, and while we're talking about doctors, you know, if there comes a point where you find that you uh, see changes in your sleeping and eating habits... These are classic signs of depression. So mm-hmm. while you go to your doctors to see if maybe there's a, a bit of a mild remedy for the sleeping, also tell them about your depression and your feeling and that you are a caregiver. They, they've seen this before. They know what you're going through. And ask your doctor for help as well and see what's right for you. Just wanted to exactly. point and that out. And that's the wonderful thing about Florida. Um, doctors in Florida have seen the elderly in so many situations and can recommend, you know, the best possible remedy, Um, whereas it's not always true up north. You don't always have it uh, as uh, a practice, you know, a gerontologist, just dealing with elderly. Absolutely. Well, um, why don't we take a short commercial break, Pam, and when we come back, I'd like to go through some of your rules, funny and crucial information, and um, share some information that might help people who are probably in this situation get a better understanding of some of the things they're dealing with, okay? Sure. All right. We will be right back right after these messages. The odds of a young girl being discovered by an industry insider while singing to herself pumping gas? One in 300 million. The odds of the daughter of a clergyman from Severn, Maryland, spending 11 weeks at number one on the U.S. singles charts? 
one, and 19 million. The odds of going on to win six Grammy Awards, one, and 1.4 million. The odds of selling over 40 million records, one, and 800,000. The odds of this musician and performer having a child diagnosed with autism, one, and 88. I'm Tony Braxton, and I encourage you to learn more at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Autism Speaks, it's time to listen. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Explore new areas of interest, expand your knowledge, and gain clarity about your life's purpose at the Ocala Center. Affectionately known as OIC, the Ocala Inner Center, just two blocks south of Town Square, offers workshops, classes, healing meditations, and special events for the Ocala, Gainesville, and Central Florida spiritual community. Check out our calendar of events at OcalaInnerCenter.com. And if you're looking for a place for your next workshop or seminar, go to OcalaInnerCenter.com and give Jean a call. And we're back, everybody. We're here with Pam Carey, author of Elderly Parents with All Their Marbles, a survival guide for the kids. And we are going to discuss some of these 49 humorous, often humorous, but very important tips of Pam, starting with number one through three. You recognized the signs that it was time to make a decision, and your parents lived in the, the home that you grew up in mm-hmm. for, for multiple decades. And, That's right. And it was, it was not an easy thing to do. But you, you had to do it. So rule one is bite the bullet, move them closer. And for some of us, that means move them into your home. Um, and the second is living quarters for the elderly should be as small as possible, all on one floor. Actually, my husband and I decided that um, we wouldn't live in a, a bi-level house. We'll, we will remain always in a one-floor dwelling for when we get older. Um, very so important, I, yes. Very important. Very important. And rule three was move it only if you can't chuck it, burn it, or sell it. So, <laughs> so talk about you know the the task of trying to convince these very independent adults that they have to leave their home, get rid of all their stuff, and come move closer to you. Right. Well, uh, they were in Connecticut, and my husband and I had moved to Florida for eight months of the year. And uh, what happens, I think most of us do this, is long distance when you call, they lie. They just say, we're fine, dear. Don't worry about us. And then I would go to visit and I would find pink eye or I'd find athlete's foot that had turned into athlete's ankle. Oh, my God. And in, in one case, my mother's leg was propped up on the sofa swollen and the color purple Mm. and I walked in and said what is that and she said oh I was probably just bitten by something it's an allergy in one leg don't worry dear well five days in the hospital blood clots multiple blood clots and and finally the meds got straightened out and she was released so It was essential because they were trying to um, maintain a property that was too large for them also, and ice and snow, you know. So we 
Charlie and I decided, my husband and I, um, that it would be best to move them down near us. Well, they didn't want any part of it. And I can understand they built the house 52 years before. We all grew up there, my sister and I, and it was emotionally uh, very difficult. So we began by getting one of their good friends who had moved to Florida to start writing them about his glorious life down there in a place called Leisureville. And Leisureville just happened to be five miles from us. So they would come down, they'd visit us, they'd get familiar with the territory, and they'd find, you know, where are their food stores, where's the church, where's everything. And they began to meet some of our friends as well. So after a while... Then they came down and visited this friend who had been writing them and went out with a realtor and it went, you know, back and forth and back and forth. And finally they decided to bite bite the bullet and we moved them down. Well, you can imagine after 52 years, uh, plus my mother was a pack rat and she accumulated everything. So we had quite a task and they did a lot of it, I must say. But... Just showing them the square footage of what they had bought it didn't mean a thing to them on, a, on yeah. paper. It meant nothing. So what we finally did was we said, you know what, we're going to have this, you haul it, and this is as much as you can bring to Florida, and whatever fits in there is fine. And then the rest had to be, as my rule says, chuck it, burn it, or sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we managed. We got them down, and um, uh, the, I think the next funny rule is about not having any kind of trees on the property that will produce fruit or anything else that they can possibly ship or sell. <laughs> yes, yeah, it, <laughs> it was overwhelming. That's chapter two, because in the new house that you found them, and, and mind you, ladies and gentlemen, there were complaints the whole way. Put that back. Get this back from the thrift store. Right. Um, Christmas gifts found in closets. Um, cover the new property in crushed stone or asphalt unless lawn cutting is provided. And absolutely no fruit tree. Right. <laughs> that fruit tree became a real issue. But what the funniest one, um, even even though it is very accurate, and you you told the story about how when before you even made the decision, the rule four is don't believe anything parents tell you long distance. Truly, don't believe anything. Go see it with your own eyes. Because I went through that too. Like everything's fine, everything's fine, and then deep deep vein thrombosis is not fine, and that's what she had. Right. So, so you get them successfully to Florida, and they start to socialize, and they get to reunite with their friend too. Um, the they, I I like the one expect the unexpected. Oh boy, yes. Rule <laughs> ten. Absolutely. Absolutely. Whatever. I think there's another rule in there that says a caregiver has to be a super sleuth with reptilian skin yes. and stand-up comedy re- routines because you just don't know what's coming next. And there'll be a lot of uh, – the caregiver gets the brunt of a lot of uh, abuse verbally if they're mm-hmm. upset or frustrated at their own conditions or medically. And you've got to just keep on trucking, keep on smiling, and find humor where you can. 
Mm-hmm. But the comedy routines, you know, are essential. You, you just have to keep keep on going yeah. and expect the unexpected because you just don't know what's going to happen. You can't even imagine some of the things they come out with. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we touched on this briefly, but um, ensuring their safety, whether you, you did a lot where you installed rails in the shower, Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you got them out of Dodge for the hurricane, whether they wanted to go or not. Um, but that's okay. They made that decision. <laughs> yeah. You have to you have to think. You have to do all the thinking of what if and what what's the potential for falls or and that's why we say a one floor dwelling. Um, but you you did all of that. You they even installed a higher toilet, a high rise toilet. That's right. To uh, all of the accommodations. Um, because there's also a rule that, you know, bodies over 80, there's a domino effect that yes, one thing and, mm-hmm. leads into the other. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's what I, I meant by that, is that if something um, stops functioning um, in their body after around age 80, usually that will create another issue, even if it's down the road. Yeah. Um, so you have to be really a good buddy with the primary care physician. I mean, it's essential that you introduce yourself to him, that you chat, that he knows you and can, and can discuss openly the situations with you because one thing leads to another, and especially in medications and interactions of medications. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as the house and or an apartment or a situation where the elderly parents living with a family member, um, I took out all the small little scatter rugs and um, the carpets had to be wall-to-wall because then they wouldn't trip over the edges. Yeah. Um, we also um, put the grab bars in the showers, as you said, and, and put comfort-level toilets in. And... Um, there were a lot of very minor things you don't even think of, like cords, electrical cords mm-hmm. that might be uh, tripped over. So mm-hmm. you've got to make sure those are all um, eliminated. And, mm-hmm. and of course, the um, the recliners are so wonderful. You know, just yeah. to get in and out of those. I was thinking that. Yes, they are. They're wonderful. The ones that lift that help you out. Mm-hmm. Um, and one, one thing that I don't know that we could afford it, but those walk-in tubs are—they seem like fantastic for they anybody. They do. They do. And we did not have that, but we had showers where there was no lip. Yeah. You know, we okay. had to eliminate the lips so they wouldn't the trip. Okay. And also and a seat in the shower, any kind of um, removable. Seat. Shower chair. Mm-hmm. Shower chair that That's can very be folded helpful. up. Yes. Yes. Um, what And what we also have to focus on, too, is um, like their comfort, like the shower chair. Uh, telephones with larger numbers, like your mom had right. the, the visual issue. She had glaucoma. So having a telephone with larger numbers is helpful, and they have to, they have to adapt, but we have to kind of try to stay in step with them as they change, because they don't like to admit change. That's right. They don't, they don't want to admit that they, their vision is getting worse until it really gets to be a problem, and then you say, okay, well, let me go find a solution, when mm-hmm. we can kind of stay in step with those changes and get the different type of TV 
There are special readers where people can put mm-hmm. a document on what looks like a um, a photocopier or a projector, and it magnifies it if that's, right. that's something that would work for you. And there's all different things that people are becoming more mindful of the aging and ways to make them more comfortable in their daily activities. That's right. And, and www.aarp org is a wonderful resource if anyone has computers um, for the, all of these tips and the, the senior center the local senior centers are also wonderful resources about not only um, where to get some of these for nothing um, but also what how to talk about it with your parents yeah there's, um, I remember a conversation when it went from being ambulatory to needing a cane to needing a walker. These are things, and, and in most cases, those uh, durable medical equipment is covered, depending on your insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to discuss something that takes place when we have to take care of a parent, and that is Rule 17. The elderly will promise anything until you leave them alone, <laughs> so you have to stick with it. But there's also... 18, will the real caregiver please stand up? And what happens is a new family dynamic emerges as parents age, one of relief and one of resentment. Because when one person steps up to the plate as the primary caregiver, that basically gives the other family members, especially those who live at a distance, a sense of relief that they don't have to play that role. Talk to us about that dynamic of relief and resentment and how it can be corrosive, and if you have any ways to soothe that dynamic. Well, my sister um, lived in Virginia um, most of the year, and then um, she was working part-time when my parents um, became ill in their last three months. So um, she would visit maybe two weeks a year, but both of us had um, the health care um, proxies. So we were um, just consulting over everything um, back and forth. However, when it came to immediate decisions, uh, on-the-spot decisions, I had to make them because I was there on the spot with my own eyes and could sign whatever needed to be signed, I would, of course, call her. But it it was very difficult um, prior to those kinds of decisions, which she allowed me to do. Um, But before that, my parents' favorite word was premature. Everything was premature. They were in their, you know, almost 90, but it was premature to look at assisted living places. and Mm -hmm. And it was premature to talk about getting... Um, someone to drive them so my dad would stop driving. Mm-hmm. So when my sister used to f- come down for visits and we would um, discuss this, they would totally agree with her. They would promise her the world. They would say, of course, we'll get Martha Moody from the church can drive. We know she drives other people. You know, mm-hmm. she can drive us, no problem, because they didn't want to use the public transportation system. Um, which is wonderful in Florida. And the reason they didn't want to use that was because um, they would have to arrange 24 hours ahead to call and have the pickup the next day 
right at their home. But, but they, they didn't couldn't like plan the 24 yeah. hours ahead. They had so much going on in their lives at 90. I'm just being facetious. But anyway, so my they had their was, routine. And they had it, their routine and it couldn't be broken. Spontaneity was not. Uh, the routine did not accommodate spontaneity. Like, okay, let's uh, get a cab or, or, you know, a ride from the service and we'll go food shopping and then we'll go to lunch. Mm-hmm. You That's have exactly to schedule right. that 24 hours in advance. And they were very set in their ways in what television shows they watched and when they mm-hmm. ate lunch. And so, and exactly. that's, okay. that's the reality of your family and your parents. But that's, you know, that's fine. So, but um, when my sister came one visit, you know, they promised her that we sh- we would talk to Martha Moody. So we, in, my sister and I, in front of them, called Martha. We knew her very well and said, you know, we're interested in, in having someone drive mom and dad to the grocery store or the doctors or it, when I couldn't. I was doing most of it. And uh, I would go north for the summer. So uh, how much do you charge? Well, they heard $15 an hour, and that was, you know, outrageous for them. And so they promised my sister that they would have Martha um, drive during the summer when I wasn't there. And then my sister got on the plane, and they said to me, this is totally premature. You know, we're not going to pay that, and we don't need her. And so my dad continued to drive, and it was a, a matter of friction between my sister and me because, you know, I took them as much as I could, but uh, when I wasn't there, I was not sure um, what would happen if my dad were driving yeah. because it's not just his, you know, his well-being I was concerned about. It was, it was other people's well-being in the car. Um, if he were to hit someone. So I think, um, you know, they they continued to drive, and my sister wanted them to continue to drive because she had kind of thrown in the towel and after they um, discouraged Martha Moody. Mm. And she they actually believed it was fine for my dad to continue to drive. And, and I said to her, well, what if something happens Who's going to pick up the pieces? And, you know, it was obvious. Who would have picked up the pieces? Me. Yeah. Um, So we were fortunate in that um, the state of Florida um, mandated a driver's test and an eye test at a certain age. It was 90, I believe. Um, Well, no, wait a minute. It was every 10 years. uh, Pardon me. Um, Every 10 years when the license was renewed. 90 when he got that. And he was, he was he yep. was and, and then um, that was it. He he obviously wasn't going to study for a driver's exam, and so um, we did have. I did a lot of driving. I really did because yeah. um, we didn't get anyone else to drive them until my mom had passed away. Mm. Mm. Well, I want to go into um, because you mentioned. You had decisions to make. A lot of times those decisions can only be made once you have power of attorney. So I want to touch on that lightly and then touch on a few other issues dealing with a loved one in a hospital. Does that sound all right? Sure. All right. Make it clear what the power of attorney allows you to do and what it doesn't allow you to do. Okay. 
Um, a power of attorney. I'm just going to read from the back of my book in the uh, resource section. Because, Page 143. Thank you. <laughs> this is essential. A power of attorney is a legal form that designates which person has the authority to act in specified legal or financial affairs for another person. The form must be universal to be accepted in every state, since one state's form may be invalid in another state. An elder care attorney who specializes in in that elder care can provide and authorize a universal form. And the reason I put that in there is that so many caregivers are family members who live out of state and they get a power of attorney in the state in which they live and then it's not valid where the parent is living. Parent lives. Mm, Very important. Very important. I also, in my experience with power of attorney, um, you know, when decisions are to be made on behalf of the patient who is incapable of making those decisions, um, it helps you do that as well. Uh, Experience, what it doesn't cover is after the patient passes away, it does not give you power to make other decisions. That is over at the moment of the patient's death Mm -hmm. and uh, a, a very, very interesting uh, gentleman at the bank explained to me that um, families want to be very careful who they allow to apply for power of attorney. They want to be very selective in choosing an individual with a high degree of integrity. Very, very important. Yes, indeed. It's usually a very close family member who has um, also gotten... Uh, the health care proxy, and that's a, that's a different form. In other words, making medical decisions is a different issue from power of attorney. So if you have um, a health care proxy, that means you are able to tell the doctor um, what kind of medical um, decisions can be made. A power of attorney has to do with a lot more legal and financial um, matters. Yes. So those are two separate things. And then again, there's another, of course, there's a will, you know, which should be up to date legally. And there's a living will, which is still another form of uh, legality. Mm. So maybe we should talk a little bit about what the living will does. Yes. Okay. A living will is a form that documents a patient's health care preferences in the event he's unable to speak or communicate his own wishes. So in general, it lists the terms for the use of or elimination of life support. I mean, that's what most of us think of when we think of living will. This is a form that is specific by state and is not valid on an ambulance for EMS services. Okay. Yeah, so that's another um all of these are separate. <laughs> yeah. But and very you give the important. website where they can download the form. That's uh, right. They're free and printable for living wills and medical power of attorney. And the book gives that information as well. You also go into an important uh issue because it happened uh to your parents where doctors made mistakes. So rule twenty one 
is doctors can make mistakes too, and 27, there will be misjudgments, accidents, and errors during medical care. Don't expect doctors to admit mistakes. Uh, tricky, tricky stuff, and, you know, it's going to happen, and they're not going to admit their mistakes. What, what, what's your advice with staying, I, I, let me be nice and say in step with the doctor to be sure that any mistakes can be avoided if possible? Well, you have to be there. That's number one. You have to, with your own eyes, be there on site uh, in a hospital situation to make sure the doctors are doing what the patient and you as the healthcare proxy want. And in my mother's case, um, the reason I wrote that rule was she had a lot of osteoporosis, which we all know is a a brittling of the bones. The bones become brittle, they break easily, and she had fractured one of her vertebrae in the back. So in the case of my dad, who had done the same thing, they had a gluing procedure, and they were able to glue it back together very, very easily. He was up and walking the next day as an outpatient. However, when my mom, they tried to do the same thing to my mom, the same orthopedic surgeon, because of her osteoporosis, a piece fractured off in the spine and entered her spinal sac. So there was fluid from the spinal sac draining. And that caused the immediate um, hospitalization and further surgeries from which she never recovered. Yeah. Three further, two or three further surgeries. So, um, <clears throat> although the doctor ad- admitted that this had happened, he never took, you know, full responsibility. He called in a neurosurgeon to oversee the case, and mm-hmm. the neurosurgeon took over and did what he could. But you know, as I say, two more surgeries, but the neurosurgeon wasn't able to rectify the drainage of the uh, fluid until until three months had gone by when it finally healed and she was so weak by then um yeah you know she couldn't recover yeah i see so so you don't you don't ever i mean unless you have grounds for a lawsuit which i did not um I felt that he admitted his mistake, but really just handed it over, you know, to someone else. Yeah. Okay. Uh, off his hands. You know, my record's intact. She yeah. healed. After three months, she healed. Hey, guess what? The patient died, <laughs> but but his record was intact. Yeah, he was. You 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 say some pretty interesting things about him not wanting to have that uh, failure on his record. Mm-hmm. Um, you also emphasize uh, validating your loved one's rule 30. If a loved one asks you to let go, he or she is really asking permission to do the same. And you start to talk about back at the rehabilitation wing, you had a lot of private time with your mom, and you thanked her for all she'd done, for mm-hmm. my sister and for, for your sister, I'm reading now, for my sister and for me. And you said, do you know what a good mother you are? And you followed up with a description of some of your fondest memories growing up. I think this is a beautiful gift to give somebody to show them how much you appreciate them. And you also uh, emphasize getting their friends to come and visit and getting their spouses to visit 
because it was really hard for your dad to see her that way, but it was important that he did it anyway. Yes. Well, those are um, two separate issues. My dad felt very, very guilty because my mom's fracture of her back originated when she was trying to pull him up out of bed. Yeah, and the reason she was trying to pull him up out of bed was because they wanted nobody in the house to help them. Um, even an aide, you know, he had a fractured back at that point, and they didn't want anyone to help them. So she yeah. attempted to pull him up, and she fractured her back. When and so that was his guilt. Um, and after a while, he was so emotionally distraught visiting her that they both decided together that it would be best if he only came, you know, periodically and they talked on the phone every day. Well, okay, that was fine, but then it got to the point where she suddenly, you know, at the end had a stroke and she hadn't seen him for a long time. Um, So I hurriedly got him into her room to yeah. say goodbye, and she passed within, I think, six hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to get him there physically was an ordeal as well, because he was, you know, he was on a walker and yeah. and uh, didn't want to face it, but he did. He did. So that yes, it's important that they realize um, parents are still alive to have that spouse um, in there occasionally, yeah. at least. And likewise, now the other issue was saying goodbye. Um, My mom realized after 90 days in the hospital and rehab that um, she was so weak she could hardly, you know, she could hardly swallow. And um, she had a feeding tube. She was hallucinating. Um, And And you had to play a lull. Yes, I had to play a lull. I would never have told her, you know, she was nuts. <laughs> but it was a the meds were interacting, and I had to find out why. Yeah. And so I played along, and and um, then she at one point asked, "When I you recall you read the section where we talked about um, what a good mom and all the wonderful memories?" Mm-hmm. And she said, "You know, I can't do this anymore." And I think a lot of Caregivers feel, you know, they devoted so much time and effort to saving this person that they want to see the person come back out as they were physically or Mm -hmm. mentally. And uh, my mother was there mentally, but her body had just stopped functioning the way it had been prior. So at that point, because she had been in ICU and out again, and I had kind of made amends with um, the fact that it wasn't she wasn't going to get any better I was able to say to her mom listen to what your body is telling you and we will abide by your decision so at that point she realized that it was okay to let go yeah It, it was okay and my sister I told my sister what I had said, and she said, yes, that was a good thing to say because she can't, she just can't physically do it anymore. Yeah. I said that to my mom, too. Mm-hmm. That's at wonderful. First I said, at first I said she broke a hip in October 2008. I flew up to Philadelphia, and uh, I was with her for the operation. 
and she was doing some therapy, but then she didn't want to do the therapy anymore. And I said, listen, you don't know how much time you have left on this planet, but if you are meant to be here another five years, would you rather be in a body that doesn't function or would you rather be in a body that supports your existence? And she listened and she was doing her therapy and she was taking 30 to 60 steps back and forth several times a day. She was doing great. But you know what? She really just didn't want to be here. Mm-hmm. And I said, and that is your decision, and if that's the decision you make, I will honor it mm-hmm. and see that everybody else does too. Right. And, and that's what I did. And she did not have an easy life. And my joy over the peace that she felt after passing away, I'm a psychic medium. I've seen her numerous times. She's happy. She's at peace. Um, I do remember visions of turning off a machine, and I always thought that I would have to take her off of life support, but thankfully that wasn't the case. It was her breathing. It was her oxygen machine. After she mm-hmm. passed away, I, just, I only had to turn it off. So thank God for that. Right. But her peace is my peace. I am at such peace with her passing because of that, and mm-hmm. it really helps. What are your thoughts on that? Well, my thought about... Um my whole caregiving experience was that I could look at myself in the mirror later and know that I had done what I could and that I had been there for them. Yeah. I was I was given time in the last three months for each of them to create memories, to give them support and and the help that they needed because after all they had supported me my whole life and I think I in my dedication at the beginning of the book, I say that. So it's a matter of what each of us feels we should do to maintain our own inner peace later. And um, everyone might have different degrees of ability to be a caregiver. Um, Siblings might not want to or be able to do as much as the primary caregiver in which case you have to accept what they can do and not judge them. Yes. And that is a very hard thing to do. It's very difficult. And I know tensions can run high between siblings. And mm-hmm. one, one thing I can offer because I observed it is when the caregiver gets frustrated to such a high degree, and tries to reach out for help, they may not ask you in the way that you would expect. It may come off sounding like a demand. It may come off sounding like an ultimatum. And I would give a little room for misperception and recognize that they might be at their wit's end. They may not have slept in days. They might not be eating properly. And to be forgiving when that caregiver reaches out for help and don't brush them off with your own schedule because mm-hmm. they're they're pretty much grinding their schedule to a halt to take care of the loved one and everybody should sit have a family meeting and talk about how much can you give and or maybe you could go to a sibling's house and cook dinner and spend time with their children while they go visit the parent and take their shift mm-hmm. there's got to be a way to make it a team effort Right. Although one person will have the primary responsibility. Exactly. You have to be able to ask to help help when you need it, share the care, or even just, as you say, 
go out to dinner, take the caregiver to breakfast, do anything you can, um, have a family gathering over a meal at, at someone's house, and talk about what needs to be done. Yeah, um, and how you but feel. You're right. One, how do you feel? Are you getting stressed out? Are you getting frustrated? Are you getting angry? Um, but one person has to be in charge. There can't be by committee. There can't be decisions by committee. The others have to be consulted, I agree. Definitely have to be consulted and updated every step of the way. But one person has to be on site making the decisions. Yes, absolutely. Well, before we go, I just want to give everybody an idea of what else is in this book. And uh, we only have a few minutes left for the segment. But Pam goes into several other major situations. In the hospital, you had two different aides working 12-hour shift, and it turned out that they didn't like each other, so you had to find a resolution for that. Mm-hmm. Health aides may not like each other, and that may be the case. You want to build good relationships with the hospital staff, and Pam explains, you have to make these people your new best friends, okay. and that's wise advice. And reward them. Bring them gifts. Mm-hmm. Bring them some um, fruit. Bring them some cookies that you made. Um, I think caregiving is a thankless task. We do it out of love and respect. But even those who are paid caregivers, such as nurses, certainly doctors, they are not given the thanks that they need. And everyone needs to be appreciated, especially family members who are doing it very much out of love. But um, it's, it's a thankless job. It really is. And it's 24-7. It doesn't end. It yes. really doesn't. Mm-mm. Rule number 49 is family members will experience varying degrees of emotional, financial, and legal turmoil when a loved one dies. There is no right or wrong way to get through a loss. And this is probably one of the most important things because everybody deals with loss in their own way and you need to give them the permission to express themselves in a way that they know how to. doesn't mean things are going to be said that you don't like. I was, you want to hear something funny? <laughs> I'm, I mean, I, I'm sitting there with my family saying, okay, everybody, because I'm, I'm the middle of five children, but I'm also like the father figure of the family. Wow. I was like, okay, listen, everybody, we're going to, we've got to, you know, do this right, and we've got to honor mommy, and we're going to take care of this, and we're going to have the best funeral ever, and this is really going to be really cool, and all this stuff. And I said, we have to give each other room to express and cry and, and, do what we need to do to get through this, okay? So we're going to, you know, not all the time, but we're going to hold hands and pull each other through. It's not who said what and all this. Are you with me? And then we got a unanimous yes. And then all the trouble started. But one of the, well, right before the trouble started, um, she, she had, uh, I, I think it was a couple hours after she died and, and, and the emotions had settled. And before the, um, before they came to pick up her body, <laughs> my sister wanted to do a few extra things for my mother um, to prepare her. And uh, one of my brothers said, what else do you want to do? Strap her to your ankles and take her for a walk on the beach? And I was furious. Oh. Oh. Do you remember the movie Weekend at Bernie's? Oh, no, I didn't see that. I, I, my face turned beet red. I looked at him, and after a minute, 
once I, I gave myself a second to pause, mm-hmm. and then all of us were hysterical laughing. But at first, I was really insulted. Like, that's our mother, you know? But it really was funny it, because my sister was going so overboard. Oh, I have to do this, and then I have to do this. And like, well, what right. else do you want to do? <laughs> right, but it broke the tension. Completely broke the tension, which was great. And that's what humor does. You know, if you can find humor in these weird situations or very difficult situations, for sure. Well, um, yeah. I think there are, there are no, there is no correct way to grieve. We all know that. There are, there are different stages of grief, but there is no correct way. So if you are um, more emotional than a sibling, don't, you know, don't expect the same kind of emotion if she, that's not what the kind of person he or she is. Right. And likewise, in caregiving, there is no right or wrong way to be a caregiver. It depends on a financial status, it depends on the physical condition and circumstances of the patient. So, you know, you, you can't judge is what I'm trying to say someone else's experience as a caregiver or in a loss. Mm-hmm. Now, and, the, Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, people um, very frequently try to express their condolences and it's difficult because you don't always feel like they're saying something that's going to help you. But they're trying. So yeah. you accept the condolences and and thank them, even though it might be a platitude that is meaningless to you at the moment. Yeah. They're trying. Uh, they and, and people do say strange things, but they are trying, and there's really nothing anybody can say or do to help anybody mm-hmm. else change the way they feel about what happened. They're grieving. That's right. so, so keep it simple, but keep it sincere. Um, right. And also, after going through something, now you went through this for two years. Mm-hmm. Okay, some people only need to go through it for a, a number of months. Some people are in, it, are in it longer. They're in for the long haul. After that person passes away, there is a huge letdown. No matter the length of time that you were caring for a loved one, after they pass away, please consider counseling to help somebody help you navigate through the stages of grief. Those have to be accommodated. They come in waves. They come in cycles. Also, let somebody help you sort your emotions out, ask for the help that you need. Just because they pass away doesn't mean it's over for you. Because there's an identity shift, I think, and tell me if you agree, Pam, where there's a shift in your identity. I am the caregiver. I take care of this person. And when that person's no longer there, you're going to go through an identity crisis of sorts to varying degrees, and you might need someone to help you navigate that. Do you agree with me, Pam? Yes, I do. I totally agree with you, especially if if it's been a long-term situation. Absolutely. Um, But it's very important if you have a significant other in your life, it's very important to um, share what's going on with that person and because he's going or she will feel the anger that you feel and the frustration and you're going to probably take things out on that person because he or she is the closest to you. And you must then regroup as a couple and express your appreciation. 
because right. um, that emotional support is crucial for you. Yes. It, it, even if it's not a significant other, it could be a counselor, it could be a friend. Yes, very important to release verbally and emotionally. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. For spending time with us and sharing such important information. Just um, really put together so well. You did weave everything together expertly. Well, I enjoyed it, Charlotte. Thanks for having me. I really have had a good time. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Once again, the name of the book is Elderly Parents with All Their Marbles, A Survival Guide for the Kids by Pamela Carey. Carey is spelled C-A-R-E-Y. It is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and you can also get more information or purchase the book through her website, parentswithmarbles.com. Ladies and gentlemen, this book is a must-read as a resource for anyone dealing with assisting an aging loved one. Please consider purchasing a copy as a gift for a friend or to donate at a care facility. You never know who the simple act of kindness could help. It may make all the difference in the way that their loved one is cared for. Okay, Pam, I will talk to you soon. Very nice, and take okay. care. You too. Bye now. Bye. All right, everybody, that's our show for today. Until next time, God bless and be at peace.